I've been listening to a pastor uh, who who uh, who talks about uh, the. He's been preaching on on the book of of the Revelation for some time now, and he's he's a well, he's a preterist, which I, I I'm not even sure I understand preterism, but it, this is a, a method of interpretation of prophecy, and uh, it, I've listened to him long enough that I really wanted to go over my own notes, and I, I went back to my notes and I, I did notice that this is a subject I seem to re, return to every three years or so. So it's been three years since we went through this. And I, I, this is an old PowerPoint that I've shifted all around, so it's not the same message, but a lot of the scripture slides are the same. So you've seen some of this, but uh, most of it has been rearranged. And I really wanted to firm up my own, uh, my own attitude towards it. In addition, I, I'm reading a book by uh, Dr. Jeremiah called Signs of the End. And one of the chapters is on the rapture. And I thought, wow, he did a terrific job. So I wanted to add some of his thoughts to it as well. So this is sort of a review for most of you. Uh, and I was thinking for Mark uh, out there in the ether. And uh, Patricia, this might be good for you uh, to go over as well. I had kind of thought it, that you might be here, but at least you're here electronically, which is great. you know. So I wanted to answer some questions uh, and look at what the scripture says about this crazy thing that we talk about, the rapture. And I want, to, I want to emphasize right at the beginning that our individual interpretation of prophecy is not critical to our salvation. It certainly was for Israel when they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. So uh, get, getting past this Messiah issueship, how you interpret when and where the rapture is going to be or if there even is going to be a rapture or your interpretation of the millennium or any of that stuff, it's really a secondary doctrine and it's not as important as the fact that you've come to understand that sin has separated us from God and that Jesus Christ is God's answer for a man's sin problem. Once you get past that, you're, uh, you're, pretty, you're pretty good to go. You confess your sins. You ask Him to forgive you of your sins. You ask Him to come into your life and save you. And you're going to heaven. I remember Chuck Messer when he would talk on pre-trib rapture. He would say things like, you know, if you don't believe in the pre-trib or you don't understand it, don't worry about it. We'll explain it to you on the way up. Uh, so uh, it's really, it's not a, it's not a critical, this is not a critical issue. There's nothing to fight about. If you're an all-millennialist, or you're a post-tribulationist or a mid-tribber, it's okay. We don't hate you. Don't misunderstand. I'm pre-trib. I'm pre-trib because I believe in, in, in the, the literal interpretation of Scripture. And uh, th this, this man that I've been listening to has been hammering and making fun of me for so long, I feel it's necessary to make a, make a reply. So this, this is for you, Pat Hood, uh, <laughs> who's not listening to me, thank God. Um, uh, but uh, th that's that's what this is about, you know. Uh, the most two most significant events in human history, uh, Doctor Jeremiah said, was the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And something I didn't know is that for every verse that talks about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are eight verses in the Bible that talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I've often said this myself, and he said it as well. You have to understand, you go back to those old prophecies of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you look at how they were fulfilled. And, and Pat, all of you, I would say, they were fulfilled literally. You know, so when Micah said, you behold Israel, your, your king comes riding on the donkey's, Colt, the, uh, a colt, the foal of a donkey, uh, 
that you know the, the Jews couldn't understand what that means because they didn't expect their Messiah to be riding on a baby donkey. It just doesn't make sense, you know. And yet, when it came time for Jesus to present himself as the Messiah, he presented himself on a donkey's colt, a young male donkey, and rode that into Jerusalem in direct fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. Now, what I want to say is that's a literal fulfillment. He didn't ride in on a Cadillac. He didn't ride in on a white horse, just exactly as Micah said it would be. Let's see what else I have. Uh, now, I'm pre-trib. I believe in literal interpretation of Scripture. I believe in literal interpretation of prophecy. And I believe the rapture is going to be before the tribulation. And I'm going to talk about why. So interleafed all through here are my arguments for pre-trib. I'm not going to be giving the other guys' arguments. Uh, they can give their own. Uh, however, I must say, I do believe in a lot of things I'm going to be wrong. And I believe in a lot of things we're all going to be wrong. And after we get over the shock of being in heaven, and after we get past the Donut and Welcome Center, and once we get past meeting Jesus and all our friends that are already there, I really do think we're going to spend a little time just laughing at ourselves and how cocksure we were about our interpretations of Scripture. Because I don't think anything's going to turn out just exactly the way we think it is. You know. So that's kind of where we're at. Uh, what, is, what is the rapture? What is it about? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. We'll be back to this a couple of times. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now you remember that sleep in the New Testament is a code for death. We will not all die. Uh, we will not all die. Uh, death is what the Bible describes a Christian who dies. A Christian who dies is said to fall asleep. And it's a picture of the fact that you're going to lay down in death, but you're going to wake up again in eternal life. So the idea of sleep is it's only temporary. Behold, I show you a mystery. Paul said that a mystery is something that hasn't been revealed before. All right. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So the point is, there's going to come a time when God is going to say time's up and some of us are still going to be alive. It's just I want to say it's going to be the luck of the draw. Actually, it has to do with the sovereign will of God. This will happen, Paul says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So you, you see this, that my mother died. She, she was buried in 1998, and she's, her body has been laying in that ground ever since. Now, her spirit went to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. So she was given a heavenly body from the time that she died in 1998 until Jesus returns. And when Jesus returns, she'll return with him. But before he breaks our sky, he will raise her, her old body from the dead and give her her eternal body. And she will be, meet her body in the air with the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time he calls us up. That's the way we understand it. Not everyone is going to die. Some of us are just going to work out to where God's will or dumb luck, we're going to still be alive when the end comes. And uh, God's going to change our bodies as needed. But notice it's after the dead are raised. That's significant. All right, for the Lord himself, this is first was Paul and talking to the Corinthians. Now it's Paul talking to the Thessalonians. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. I, I thought it was interesting that Dr. Jeremiah said that's really one event. <clears throat> I never saw it that way. I thought we'd hear a trumpet. I thought we'd hear a shout from the angel. And I thought we'd hear Jesus say, come up here. So I hear three voices. It sounds like three voices to me. But Dr. Jeremiah says, no, that's the way of describing uh, the way the Lord will sound. He's going to sound loud like a trumpet. It's going to be powerful like an archangel. And it's going to be Jesus talking. 
I don't agree with him, but Dr. Jeremiah can be wrong too, you know. Uh, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Dead in Christ first. Keep that in mind. Dead in Christ first. So those that have died and gone on behind was a big issue with the Thessalonians. Those that have died and gone on uh, were, are not going to miss out on the rapture event. They're actually going to partake. They're going to take part of the rapture event. Then, you know, that, that's another thing about literalism. If it says metatalta in the Greek, that's after this. After this means after this. It's this, then it's that. It's this, then it's that. So I think when, it, when prophecy gives a sequence, there is a sequence. So I think the dead are raised first, then we're raised. I think that's the way it works. At least that's the way I read English. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Now, harpazo in the Greek is the word. It literally means caught away. And you know, uh, you say, well, where's the word rapture come from? Well, when they translated the Greek into Latin, they got a word that I, I'm, not, I'm not a Latin speaker. Uh, I'm not even an English speaker. But the Latin is something like rapero or raparo. Uh, and and that's, in the, that's in the Latin Bible. So that's where the English word rapture comes from. So if you translate through the Catholic Bible, you'll end up, then they which are alive and remain shall be raptured together with them in the clouds. So that's where the word rapture comes from. Actually, it's caught away. Uh, the catching away will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So they will be ever with, ever be with the Lord. Um, I'm not going to get into that argument right now. I've got an argument I want to get into later. Why will some be changed and called away? Uh, verse 50 of 1 Corinthians. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Basically, the point is our bodies are rotten. They're rotten with sin. And our, our sinful, sin-cursed bodies have to die or they have to be changed. We cannot make it into heaven with these bodies that we have. You wouldn't want to be in there. I'm really hoping I'll get a complete makeover and uh, all the joints won't hurt and I'll lose about 50 or 60 pounds and that I'll actually wake up in the morning with energy. So I'm hoping for a whole new makeover, a whole new model. Uh, I, I don't really know how it's going to work. I hope I'm not a hobbled up old man for eternity. And so that's really what it's all about. It's about getting a new body. You know, our bodies are not desired designed to survive in eternity. They're just not made for that purpose. We're still falling. Our bodies are still polluted by sin. We will all need a new house. Now, why is there a rapture? It's because God is going to judge sinful earth. And in order to judge sinful earth, he's going to pull his people out and he's going to pour out his wrath and his anger on the world that has rejected him. And he doesn't want us here for that, which is one of my arguments for a pre-trib rapture. There's no reason for us to be here. There's no purpose in it. Besides that, and I'll get sidetracked here and lose all my time, uh, the, the, the tribulation period, as I talked about when we went through the book of the Revelation, the tribulation period is a period uh, prophetically known as Jacob's trouble. Jacob is another reference to Israel. So it's time for the church to get out of the way and time for Israel to shine. She was given a certain number of years. And she's missing seven of those years that she was prophesied. And Israel will get those years that have been promised ever since before Jesus came. They're going to get them during the rapture. Uh, oh. would, Jenny, would you mind getting me just a little bit of water? Just, just a little bit of water. Thank you. So God is correcting, fixing what's wrong with our bodies. And he's getting his church out of the way so he can judge the earth. And the answer to why is he's given Israel the promised 
seven years that's still missing on their timeline. When is the rapture? When is it going to be? The fact is no one knows. We really don't know. Really, the main thing we have is this, this trumpet, and we don't even know which trumpet that they're talking about. And the, the disciples, thank you, the disciples wanted to know when. And Jesus said, I don't even know. Now, I'm assuming he knows now. I'm assuming that when he was on the earth, he didn't know. He said, the angels don't know. No one knows except the Father. But of the times and seasoned brethren, this is again to the Thessalonians, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. He's going to come at a time when you don't expect it. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. No one knows, not even Jesus, when he was on the mountain of olives anyway. As a thief in the night, the rapture. Now, now this is my pre-trib rapture argument. So this is one of those star, star, stars I have in my notes. If the rapture, I'll get into that in a minute, but if the rapture were after the tribulation, let's just say we go through the tribulation. Seven years of, of God's judgment on the earth. Literal, terrible time. And we know when it begins. And if we know when it begins, we know when it ends. And we know when it ends, if we're post-trib, we know when the rapture is, it's the end of the tribulation. We know the tribulation is seven years. We know Jesus said, except those days be shortened, all life would be lost. So we know it's going to be less than seven years. So it's going to be certain that we're all going to be counting the days till the rapture. I mean, if the rapture is after the tribulation, we're going to know. We're going to have a darn good idea anyway. But if it's before the tribulation and marks the beginning of the tribulation, no one knows. So that's what Paul is saying here. When is it? It's in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, <clears throat> excuse me, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. Now, you know, you get this in every prophecy. You got this, you got this trumpet, you got this shout, and you have this voice. You got, every time it's the same thing. There's a consistency there. Uh, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead shall rise first. Now, Chuck Messler likes to identify this trumpet, this last trump, with what the Jews call the last trump during the Feast of Trumpets in the fall, October, September, October of the year, every year. There are three feasts that the Jews celebrate that culminates with the blowing of the shofar, and they blow the shofar once every day for seven days, and in the last day, they blow the shofar, the, the trumpet, the, the ram's horn, seven times, and the last trump is the last long blast, you see. So Chuck Messler says, oh, it's go definitely going to be in the fall at the, the sound of the last trump. The Jews are going to get up there and they're going to blow their trumpet and the entire church is going to disappear. That's going to be the note. That's Chuck Messler. So I, I've always kind of got a little excited because September and October are just before property taxes are due. <laughs> Hallelujah, you know. There's one for you, Bristol. Take it and shove it. You know, uh, you're not getting my taxes this year. What do you think? Uh, Anyhow, the last trump, we don't know when it's going to be. We really don't. We don't know what season is. We don't even know when the, when the rapture is going to be in relationship to the tribulation. So there are those that argue that the rapture, like myself, is before the tribulation. 
There are those that argue that the church will have to go halfway through the tribulation, and there are those that argue that it will be at the end. There's also those that argue that there'll be no tribulation, that the millennial kingdom and the tribulation are all blended into the church age, that the church supplanted Israel in all of these prophecies. That's called amillennialism. And they believe that the, there'll be no literal millennial kingdom, there'll be no literal tribulation, that all of these prophecies are fulfilled in this past 2,000 years that we've been going in. Some will say it starts when Israel, uh, the temple of Israel was destroyed in AD 70. Others will argue that it started at the cross. There are many, many views of amillennialism, just as there are many views of, of, of pre-tribulation. So you can see this on the screen. The one at the top is my position where the rapture of the church is before the tribulation. And we spend our time in heaven for that seven years while the world is going through the judgment of God. Then we'll come back with the Lord Jesus Christ in his second coming. So in my view, there are two significant events, once in secret before the tribulation and once in silence. I'm sorry, once in silence before the tribulation and once openly and quite public at the end when Jesus comes back to fight the battle of Armageddon. There are those good, godly, Bible-believing people that believe that the rapture is in the middle. There are some that believe that the rapture is at the end. I don't agree with them, but that's all right. You know, I, I listen to them just like I expect they would listen to me. Uh, this is the amillennial position. There, there is no tribulation. There is no millennial kingdom. The millennium and the church age, well, I shouldn't say it that way. The millennium and the tribulation are all wrapped into the church age. Now, you can, you can look up amillennialism in, on, on, the, on your computers, and you will find that there are many, many variations of this. So if you've listened to an amillennialist, amillennialist, that's not a word I can say, and you, if you listen to them, you'll find many different interpretations of how this goes. The, 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 the strangest I've ever met is the preterist that believes all the prophecies have already been fulfilled, that, that we're actually living in, well, it's kind of funny because the one guy that I knew, he's dead now, so he's straightened out, but he, he, he's a, he was a godly man and I respected him greatly. I never knew he was a preterist until he was dying and I was visiting him in the hospital and he tried to explain to me what he believed. And I thought, you know, he's dying of cancer and everything's going wrong in the world. And he said, this is the millennium. I think, wow, man, Isaiah really missed it when he described the millennium. If this is the millennium, you know, and then Pat is saying we're in the tribulation now. And then I think, wow, John really missed this. But this is the tribulation. It seems to me the tribulation is going to be a lot worse than this. So at any rate, they, they have good arguments for their points, and I just, I just don't agree with them. The point is there's many variations of interpreting this, and it doesn't determine whether you're a Christian or not. There are those that believe if you're not pre-trib, pre-rapture, you can't be saved. I don't agree with that. I, I think you, you, as long as you've asked Jesus into your heart to save you, as long as you've surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you just, you just go with as the Holy Spirit is teaching you. And don't, don't take offense at other people, because the truth is, we don't understand much of this. We really don't. Uh, now, this is a word I'm, I'm having a terrible time with precedent. Precedent for a rapture. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not used to working with precedent. Uh, but there is some precedent for a rapture. There's actually two that I haven't included here. That, If I can remember what I'm doing, I will share them with you. Uh, I will share them with you right as we get near the end. The first is Enoch. Enoch uh, lived before Noah. Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. Methuselah, he named his son Methuselah. And the interpretation of his name that I learned when I was in Hebrew class was, when he come, when he dies, it shall come. That's not really an accurate Hebrew 
translation of the word Methuselah, but it's close. It's something like that. The idea being that Enoch knew that when his son died, who was the longest living human being on the earth, when his son died, the flood would come. Uh, Enoch was a prophet. See, that's what uh, Jude teaches. Enoch was a prophet of God. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. How many sons and daughters can you beget in 300 years? It's a good question. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. First man raptured out. All right? Didn't die. We know that from Hebrew. Hebrews 11.5 said, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. First one raptured out. And he was not found because God had translated him. Do I have that here? I do here. Uh, if I can read it. Uh, Metatithony in the, in the Hebrew means to transfer, to transport, or to change sides. Enoch changed sides. See, he went from one side to the other. Enoch prefigures the church. Whatever God does, he prophesies it and often illustrates it in the Old Testament, whatever he's doing in the New Testament. So this is our illustration. Enoch is our illustration. That's our future. All right. Now, Noah was another one, but he wasn't raptured out. He was preserved through. So a lot of, a lot of uh, theologians say, whereas Enoch is a picture of the church, Noah is a picture of Israel. Israel will be preserved through the tribulation, whereas the church is going to be raptured out. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. I hope this isn't day one of that. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And they that went in, and male and female of all flesh, and God commanded him, and the Lord shut the door. A precedent has been set in the Old Testament. A legal precedent. God is a very legal consistent, well-thought-out, practicing person. The precedent is this. Before judgment falls, he protects his own. Right? You can see this in Lot, too. Lot was a bum. As, you know, you talk about a backslidden Christian. There were no Christians in those days, but they were believers, and Lot was a believer uh, of sorts. But he was a lousy believer. He was a backslidden Baptist, as they were. And he was delaying to get out of town. They had two angels trying to get him out of town before God blew up the town. And the angels were just literally having to drag him out of town. And they said to him, hurry, hurry, escape thither. For I, this is the angel talking, I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. I don't know why that phrase is in there. Uh, the point was, Lot did not want to leave the city. He was not a country boy. So he begged, he whined and begged until the angels agreed to take him to a little, a smaller town. Now, God had planned to kill all, uh, destroy all five cities of the plain and start over. But because Lot would not go into the boonies uh, with the angels, the angels agreed to let him go into this little town. Zoar means little, went into this little town. Uh, but the point that I underlined, of course, is I cannot do anything. God's people had to be out of the town. You remember Abraham had this argument with him. If there were five, if there were 10, if there were 15, if there were 20 believers, would you still destroy the city? They got down to 10 and God said, no, if there were 10, I would not destroy the city. As it were, there were hardly three. You know, the point again is that God would not destroy the city while Lot was there. Elijah is another example of someone raptured alive. It came to pass as they went on. This is Elijah and Elisha. 
Elijah is retiring early because he just got burned out. And as it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by the whirlwind into heaven. Alive. We'll see him again uh, alive at the in the tribulation with one of the two witnesses. Uh, now, what are the promises? Oh, there were two I wanted to share with you. Can I back this thing up? Yeah. There were two others. The Lord Jesus was raptured out. His rapture was kind of slow motion. He rose up, but he rose up alive, right? And in the tribulation period, there'll be these two witnesses that will be killed by Antichrist. They'll lie dead in the streets. I forget how long. Is it seven days they lay dead in the streets? Does someone remember? Three days in the streets. I guess in Jerusalem, three days is long enough for them to lay their dead in that heat. Uh, and then they rise up and they look up and then God raptures them out or takes them out of there. They'll rise up. So that's uh, uh, four, four people that we know of. Well, five if you count the two at the end uh, that we know of are going to be raptured out or, or caught away alive is a better way to use the word instead of raptured. I'm watching my clock here. Now, what are the Bible promises that there will be a rapture? Uh, I've never, Dr. Jeremiah used this one. I've never used this in the context of the rapture before. Uh, now, this is the same week that Jesus is crucified. This is the same week of the Olivet Discourse where Jesus tells them about the end of days. John 14, 1, favorite of mine, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be anxious for anything, Paul writes. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, literally dwelling places, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, Jesus did tell Christians in se before 78, 35 AD, he did tell the Christians that when you see the armies gathering around Jerusalem, get out of town. So he warned the church. Now Josephus in his writings of the history said no Christians were lost during that time uh, because they took Jesus' warning. There was also enough persecution that any of the disciples or the leaders of the church were already driven out of Jerusalem anyway. Maybe a few remained. And then when they saw the barricades going up, they thought, well, it's a good time to leave. And they got out of town. But other than that warning... There's no warning in the Bible for the church of what to do about the tribulation. Now, you think that's kind of odd because they warn us about everything. They warn us about how to wear our hair and what kind of shoes to wear, and what kind of clothes to wear, and how we should act and what we should say, but they don't tell us what to do in the tribulation. You see, they went, wait a minute, there's something missing here. And the something that's missing is the church. I don't think the church is going to be in the tribulation. Although the more I listen to the news, I'm starting to wonder. I'll tell you, I really am. I think, holy cow, could it actually get worse? But Jesus said, don't worry. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm coming for you. See, I never put that in the context of the, of the rapture before. I always talk about people that are dying or when I die, I expect that the first one I'm going to see is the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll come for me. I believe that. But I never put it in the context of the church. It's just an interesting thought. Now, this is Paul to the Thessalonians. I would not have to be ignorant ill-informed is a better translation, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, I've read this to you already, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, those that are alive and remain, that, that's the whole issue here, those that are alive and remain, 
will not prevent them which are asleep. That was the issue at Thessalonia. They thought their parents were dying and they were missing out. And the point that Paul's making is they're not missing anything. All right? They're not missing anything. Uh, for the, and this is continuing the same passage. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Remember, we're meeting the Lord in the air. It's in the beginning. God comes, He raises the dead, then He raises us, the church, right? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Notice the order. Dead in Christ first, then we which remain. Dead in Christ first, then us, all right? But notice this in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, 30. Jesus is telling the story of what he's going to have his angels do. At the end of days, the boys asked him, when would these things be? Matthew 13, 30. He's going to let both grow together. This is Jesus' instruction to the angels. I'm cutting this right out of a passage. Let both grow together. That's the wheat and the tares. Until the harvest. At the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers. This is not Jesus coming for his church. See, this is something else. Gather ye together first the tares. Now the tares are the lost. And bind them in a bundle to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. The wheat. Okay, this is my interpretation. The wheat are the people who became believers during the tribulation period. We call them tribulation saints. All right, the wheat will be gathered into Jesus' barn, but the tares are going to be gathered. But notice this, the tares go first and the wheat goes second. But in the other passage, the, the dead in Christ, the saved dead go first, then the saved alive go second. And now the dead tares go first. Think, Wait a minute, there's something wrong here. Well, yeah, it's two different events. There's two different time periods. So the rapture of the church is separated by time. So this third chart that I showed you with the rapture at the same time as the second coming doesn't make sense. Unless they're like a week apart or something. It doesn't make any sense at all. So shall it be ended in the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. All right. Do you get that point? I don't know if I, I might have lost you on that. Maybe too vague. I don't know. But the point being in one prophecy, the dead go first. And the other prophecy, the saved go first. Now this is uh, Second Thessalonians. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord. Wouldn't you have thought they'd mentioned it except for those of you going through the tribulation? You know, it'd been nicer if they'd said something about it. But they didn't say anything about it because I don't think we're going to have to go through. You know, we're not appointed to wrath. The tribulation is God's outpouring of His wrath, and we're not. That's not our. That's not scheduled on our to-do list. You know, it was Christ who died for us. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Oh, I'd love to preach on that's an interesting sermon right there. Who died for us? That whether we're awake, whether we're dead or alive, we'll live together with Him. Do you see that? I don't know if you ever picked up on that. I just noticed that standing here. Even when we're dead, asleep in Jesus, we're with Him. Do you see that? Yeah, our spirits are with it. Different sermon, but this Revelation three ten is a favorite of mine. I talked about this, I think, last week or the week before. The Greek word ek means out of. Uh, this is to the Church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter three and verse ten. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep the ek. This says from the hour. No, it's out of. I will keep you out of the hour of temptation. Well, that could be any time. No, because he clarifies it, which will come upon the whole world. Yeah, that's that's a pretty serious time. The hour of temptation which will come upon the whole world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So there's a promise, at least to the church of Philadelphia, that they're going to be kept out of the great tribulation. 
John, his experience in chapter 4, and I think this is my last. I'm not sure. I may have one more. I love this passage, and we, we spent quite a bit of time when we were in uh, Revelation in this passage. Uh, John has a vision in chapter 1 of the Lord Jesus Christ, you remember, in the book of the Revelation. And then, Metatelta, after this, we had this church age where he writes seven letters to seven churches. Now, many of us think that those seven churches represent seven different periods of church history. And taken together, chapters 2 and 3 represents all of the, of the doctrines and errors of church history. And then chapter 4 begins, Metatelta, after this. After what? After chapter 3, the end of the church age. See, at the end of the church age, at the end of the church age, if you believe it that way, after this I looked, that denotes surprise, by the way, and behold, behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was that was a trumpet. There's that trumpet again, right? The trumpet, the voice, and the shout, right? And the first voice I heard was there was a trumpet talking with me which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately, what did, what did uh, Paul write? In the twinkling of an eye. And immediately I was in the Spirit. So what, what John saw in this vision, what he went through in this vision, is the experience of the rapture spiritually he didn't do it he, he didn't do the real rapture because he was still on the island of patmos but god let him experience it so that he could write about what it was going to be like we're going to be going through our life one day a door is going to open in heaven we're going to open our we're going to look up and say there's a door opening in heaven and we're going to see the lord jesus christ and he's going to shout i think a trumpet's going to blow that's going to cause us to look up and then he's going to say come up here you remember when, when jesus was at the tomb of lazarus and he got there and, he, of course, he wept and everybody was all upset. And they said, he's been dead three days. He smells bad. You can't do that. They rolled the stone away. And Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, been dead three days. He's already decomposing. He gets up and walks out, wrapped up in the grave clothes. All right. Now, there's a lot of preachers will say, well, you know, it's a good thing he said Lazarus. Because if he'd have shouted, come forth, every dead person within the sound of his voice would be walking towards him. You know, I believe that. I believe he has that kind of authority. And I believe that's what's going to happen here at the rapture. Everybody within the sound of his voice, which sounds like it's going to be pretty loud, everybody within the sound of his voice, his believers, are going to look up. They're going to hear his voice. He's going to say, come up here. And immediately we'll be in the Spirit and we'll behold the throne set before us in heaven and the one that sits on the throne. Immediately. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he, that's the Father, well, that sat on was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about his throne. That's how we know it's God. And a sight likened to an emerald. Now, you know, John, there's so much energy around God that John is really troubled to, to use words to describe what he saw. Now, you think, oh, this is getting weird. Round about the throne were four and twenty elders, twenty-four elders. We're thinking the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve disciples. All right, they've got thrones, but the, the twelve tribes of Israel represent all the saved Jews, and the twelve elders represent all the saved Christians. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now this is a significant thing because we know from other scriptures precisely um, Revelation 4, 4 through 10, and 2 Timothy 4, 8, and 1 Peter 5, 4. We know from other scriptures that we're not going to get our crowns until after the rapture. 
All right. So we know in this vision, he's already after the rapture. They got their crowns, you see. Now, the purpose of the crown is when you get your crown, is that when Jesus appears in this, we're going to take the crowns off our heads and we're going to cast them at his feet in an offering of thanks and praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't that we're going to walk around heaven with a crown on our head. It just earns us something that we can offer to him in praise. That's all it's about. But the point here on pre-trib rapture is John is at the beginning. The, ra- the tribulation hasn't started yet in chapter 4. You get all the way up to chapter 6 before the tribulation starts. Right. So then these guys already have their crown. So we have almost written proof that this experience of getting your crowns is before the tribulation starts. If you believe in the sequential nature of prophecy, that this happens, then that happens. And after this, that happens. You see, if you believe the literal interpretation of the way the scriptures are written, then you, you, you have to hold on to that anyhow. That's pretty technical, I guess. There's another argument for pre-tribulation rapture that if you're in that position where you believe, hey, uh, no, it all happens at the end, the judgment of nations would not be necessary. I don't even begin to understand the judgment of nations, but it appears to be the nations are going to be judged on the basis of how they treated the Jews during the tribulation period, which makes sense at the end. But if there's a rapture at the end, before the judgment of nations, there's no need of a judgment. Why would you rapture them out? You already got all the saved out anyway. So you just destroy the rest. Anyway, this is the timeline. It's a little too complicated, but it's the simplest one I could find. We're in the church age on your left. The next thing that happens is the raising of the righteous dead and the rapture of the church where we spend our time during the tribulation with the Lord Jesus Christ for seven years. We return with him at the end of the uh, at the end of the tribulation, and the tribulation uh, saints and the Old Testament believers raised. I don't I don't agree with that drawing. Anyway, the battle of Armageddon rages, and then we enter into the millennium millennial period. After the millennium, Jesus goes on the great white throne judgment. Satan is loose. There'll be a big war, the great white throne judgment, and then we go into eternity future. So the next thing on the agenda for us, I believe, is the rapture. After that, the tribulation. After that, Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years on a physical earth. After that, the great white throne judgment. And that's where it says judgment of the wicked. That's what we call the great white throne judgment. And then we go into eternity future with a new heaven and a new earth. So that's called pre-tribulationism. That's called premillennial pre-tribulationism. Literal interpretation of scripture. I hope I haven't confused you too much. Father, thank you for this day. Watch over us now, I pray. Father, as we go through these days, help us not to be afraid, but to be bold. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.